Welcome to episode 306 of Live Happy Now. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and you've heard us talking about celebrating happiness all throughout the month of March. Today marks the end of our month-long Happy Acts initiative, but that doesn't mean you have to stop being happy or practicing Happy Acts. This week, I'm joined by Live Happy CEO and co-founder Deborah Heise, who's talking to me about how we celebrated this special month and what we've learned. Hey, Deborah, welcome back to Live Happy Now. Thank you, Paula. Always a pleasure, and it's especially wonderful to be here at this time, right at the end of March, which is, of course, the month that we celebrate Happy Acts. Yeah, we are wrapping that up today, as a matter of fact, and so wanted to have you back and talk about the Happiness Month and some of the things that we did. And this one was different for us <laughs> because we had to approach it differently, and that one of the things that you and the team came up with was the gratitude challenge. Can you talk about how that went and how it's still going on? Yeah, it's been fantastic to log on to uh, Facebook or Instagram or you just get on social media and see how many people are participating in the gratitude challenge. It's not something I do every day. I'm not a social media hound. I don't, you know, I know a lot of people spend hours and hours and hours on social media, but I have been spending a lot more time on it this month just because I am so encouraged by the number of people who've chosen to be grateful, share their gratitude, invite other people to share their gratitude. I mean, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of posts out on the Happy Acts wall that you can see that people sharing gratitude are doing Happy Acts. I'm excited about it. And I'm excited about it, not just from what's already happened, but from the fact that this is something that doesn't have to stop just because it's the end of March. I mean, you don't have to stop being grateful. I mean, you I can't be happy anymore. March <laughs> <is> over. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I did my 10, which is what we're asking everybody to do. But then, you know, I found myself over the next couple of days finding things to be grateful for and posting those as well. I quit numbering them, but, you know, still continuing to just share gratitude and invite other people to share it as well is something that we can do all year round. There's no reason to stop it now. For those people who have already participated, thank you, thank you, thank you. For those of you who are who have not, it's not too late to start. It's never too late for gratitude. <laughs> it is never too late. Never too late to say thank you or show your appreciation or even sit down and as we know, when we think about things, our body feels those emotions. Thinking about things you're grateful for can lift your spirit. Sharing it lifts other people's spirits. So let's not forget that. Let's continue to do that year round and continue to hashtag gratitude challenge and hashtag happy acts and hashtag live happy and it'll appear on our wall if it's public and we're not giving out the free gifts anymore. I hope some of our listeners receive some of our free live happy gear that we were giving out for people in the gratitude challenge. That's always fun because not only are we expressing gratitude, we're also giving stuff away. You know, we've had fun doing that this month. We're not doing that anymore in the month of April, but there's no reason why you can't give the gift of gratitude and participate in the challenge. Yeah, and you mentioned that how good you feel when you express gratitude, and that's something you and I have talked about a lot, and they probably don't even want us to talk about it anymore. But <laughs> but what really struck me is when I participate in that, and then the reaction of the person that I expressed the gratitude for. That was so moving because it's like, oh my gosh, Paula, thank you. I'm so grateful for you too, and I'm thankful to have you in my life. It was really like I we don't do it expecting that. And so I guess it shouldn't be surprising, but I think the way that it affects me was surprising where it's like, that meant so much. Yeah. I mean, I think because you and I are doing it as part of our job, not that we wouldn't do it anyway, but it was a little 
less expected for me as well when people would respond in kind and say, no, you know, that was my pleasure. I was really, thank you so much for noticing that. Or I was really, really thinking about you and I'm so glad you reached out and and you're welcome. And whatever it was they responded, it actually started a dialogue from a very positive place with a lot of people for me. And I'm sure it did for other people, you know, people that I think about, but you don't necessarily reach out to. Mm-hmm. And what what better way to start a conversation than when, than with a positive interaction? Yeah. And it's also great for smoothing over some hurts that not major ones, but just little slights that people feel along the way. And when they realize how grateful you are for them, it goes a very long way. Yeah. We let so much stuff that doesn't matter interfere in our in our social interactions and our relationships. It's crazy. I mean, I feel like everybody should carry around a sign that they pull out when they start getting frustrated that says, number one, will it matter in 10 years? You know, Absolutely. number two, if not matter in 10 years, will it matter in two years? Number three, if it doesn't matter in two years, will it matter in two weeks? And then two days and then two minutes. And can, and can we all evaluate exactly how long we're going to drag some of this stuff out? Because it doesn't last more than two days. And it's certainly not going to last more than two weeks or matter in two weeks. You know, there, there's a point where you can just have to kind of let it go. And I think that's hard for a lot of people. Yeah, and but, I think 2020, because we one, we were isolated. And two, there was a lot going on politically. And that's where I see so many of these rifts. I see them within my own family, people not speaking to each other. And, you know, it's, you're not speaking over two people who really make no difference in your personal life, you know? Yeah. And, and so I think, yeah, if you can use something like gratitude to focus on what is good and what is positive in that relationship, boy, that can just start taking steps in the right direction. Yeah, there has been, particularly in 2020, a lot of isolation for people. So a lot of people, when you're isolated, it's hard to feel like people care. They do, but if you're not around them, it's a lot easier if you go to dinner with somebody and have a conversation than it is if you're posting stuff on social media. Oh, yeah. To have that conversation be civil and come back around to, well, you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. And just a quick reminder, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think it's been difficult for people because of the isolation and the separateness and the not being face to face with each other and you know, the not being able to have that intimate dialogue where you're reading each other's facial expressions and and body language and things that are subconscious for us, but are totally gone in social media and email and even phone calls. And to a large extent, all those Zoom and things like that, and, you know, Microsoft Teams can replicate that to a certain extent. It can't replicate it entirely. You know, so people have been separated. And Gratitude is a great way to bring people back together. That reach out, that change of the subject, if it's been the political argument, all of that can be overcome simply by respecting each other, loving each other. And gratitude is a good place to start. It is a wonderful place to start. You know, and one of the things that always happens during March is the release of the World Happiness Report. And that happened on March 20th, like it always does, the International Day of Happiness. And I wasn't entirely surprised to see that the U.S. had slipped to number 19 on the list of happiest countries. And I think when you and I, when this first started, we were at number 13. Yeah. So beyond COVID, because all the countries had COVID, why aren't we happier here in the U.S.? You know, we've talked about this before because we have every reason to be. We're we're a wealthy society. We have so many things that other countries 
don't and we take it for granted. So why aren't we happier and why are we sliding? Well, I think some of it has to do with put COVID aside for a moment, but some of it does have to do with we're a multicultural nation that why we like to call us ourselves the great melting pot. Not everything's melted. We are not at the point where we truly assimilation. It's not an assimilation environment. It's a multicultural environment. Whereas if you go to Finland, who's number one, you know, their culture is very homogeneous, right? Largely, everybody looks the same, thinks the same, believes the same, not entirely, but largely. In the United States, that's just not the case. And it does cause, and as our society is presented plenty of evidence of in the last several years. It causes a lot of emotional and cultural discord and prejudices and things that I certainly wish didn't exist in the world, but it contributes to a negative dialogue. And then you layer on top of that the highly contentious political environment of the last four years, and it's really longer than the last four years. Uh, It's the last, you know, seven or eight years, the highly- Mm -hmm, Definitely. Highly volatile political environment and a news media that focuses on the negative, you're swimming upstream to find happiness. And, and you know, then we've got the wealth, the ever widening wealth gap, and we've certainly still got issues in civil rights areas. And all of this causes people to believe they're unsafe and causes people to not trust. And it's hard to be happy without trust and safety. It's understandable, but I sure do hope we can start turning that around. And what can individuals do? Because it is a big shift to turn around, and we know that. And I think sometimes we sit there and go, well, okay, America's not happy. People aren't happy. Don't know what we can do about that. But we all know that change starts with one person. So individually, what role do we play in that? I love our tagline, which is make your world a happier place. The your world a happier place is really key to me because you need to work on your little corner of the world, which might be working on your ability to forgive. It might be working on your ability to be resilient. It might be working on your on expressing gratitude. It might be working on being more tolerant of other ideas. Once again, there's a sign everyone is entitled to their own opinion. Civil discourse needs to be part of our nature. And part of civil discourse is not surrounding yourself solely with people who believe exactly what you believe and canceling everyone who doesn't believe exactly what you believe. I mean, civil discourse is having a meaningful dialogue about what we can do to improve the well-being of those around us and improve ultimately the well-being of the world. And the more people we have doing that, the more pockets of people that are focused on community, building community, building dialogue, I believe the happier we'll become as a culture because everything, power to the people doesn't mean all of the people at once. <laughs> it's right. an, you know, you do have individual ability to move forward with your own life and make your own decisions. I'm not saying that if you violently disagree with someone that you need to have dinner with them. But what we're saying is maybe temper your judgment enough to recognize their circumstances may not be your circumstances and their frame of reference may not be your frame of reference and have a dialogue rather than an argument. But largely what we can do immediately, easy things, because that's hard, by the way. That's really hard. that's That's big. It's a big ask. But what we can do is the little stuff, express appreciation, 
let go of the small stuff. Try not to create new slights to be offended by. Be kind. Do your happy acts for complete and total strangers as well as your best friends. Reach out and be grateful. Do the gratitude challenge. Start now. Keep a gratitude journal. These are not big things, but what they do is they wire your thinking to you know, view the world as more abundant, view the world as more graceful, and to feel better about your place in the world and where the world's going. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to do, but they're easy things to do that make the challenge more accessible. There are. And like you said, it does rewire you. And so those little simple steps that you take repeatedly, those are the ones that really give you the most mileage in the long run. Yeah, it's not the big things. Going and spending a weekend volunteering in a homeless shelter will give you a perspective. But doing something small every day with intent will give you a mindset. It really is about your mindset, how you approach the world that will make you as an individual, your family, ultimately your community happier, but we just need a lot of people doing that. Yeah. And it does become second nature because when you first start, it's like, oh, I cannot probably do this more than a day. (laughs) And it does, especially that gratitude that's been a great practice to adopt because it's a simple one and easy to do. And it then suddenly one day you wake up and you're like, wow, I am putting this in practice moment by moment. And you end up being surprised at how much it's a part of your life. You do. And it is hard to start, largely because we all have our routines, right? So breaking a routine, making a routine, making a routine takes several weeks. I'm going to do this every day. Really? Until you've done it three or four weeks, you're not going to do it every day. You're just going to do it tomorrow. And that's kind of the way you need to think about it. Yeah, I am going to do this today. And then tomorrow, I am going to do this today. And then after you've been doing it three weeks, four weeks a month, then you can say you're doing it every day. But until then, you've got to think smaller because it isn't a routine. And many of us have crazy, crazy, crazy busy routines already. But it's five minutes. That's great. Yeah. And that's being able to even put it at the top of your to-do list so you remember every day like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be grateful for something this morning (laughs) or whatever it is that you're going to do until it becomes part of that daily process. Well, I remember when I was exploring meditation and learning meditation, which I, I still find incredibly valuable, but confession, it's not something I do every day. There are periods of my life where I do it, but I don't do it every day. But I remember I was struggling with it because I'm one of those people that the minute I start thinking, I think of the next thing I have to do and I start doing it, right? So med- meditation <laughs> is a challenge. <laughs> oh, I need to do that? Okay, let me do that right now. Meditation is a challenge for me. And I remember somebody looking at me and saying, do it for one minute. Quit trying to set this 5, 10, 15 minute goal. Do it for one minute. Write one post letter, thank you, for one person. Not, I'm going to do it every day. Do it for do it once. After you've done it once, do it once. You know? <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like it's so much less daunting. You know, it's kind of like if you're going on a diet, you don't want to say, oh, I can never have this again. But you can say, you know what? Today I choose to eat this healthy meal instead. Yes. All good habits are made the same way by doing the right thing. But you talked about the World Happiness Report. Tell me a little bit, getting back to happiness, as opposed to just Deborah and Paula talking, although Deborah and Paula like to talk. Share a little bit more about what was in the World Happiness Report. Well, here's the thing that I found 
really interesting because the positive side, we always look for the positive, right? And the positive thing about the pandemic is the way that this really put the spotlight on our mental health and what our needs are globally. That really came through in this report that it showed it wasn't just the pandemic that put us in a critical mental health state. We were already headed there and this just kind of pushed us over that edge. And I think what it's going to do is build more awareness of our need for great mental health and our need to look out for one another and their mental health. And I think now this will open the door even more where people are okay with saying, I feel anxious, I feel lonely, I feel depressed. And that really came through in that report that people are finally accepting the fact that I have to deal with my mental health as well as my physical health, just treat it the same way. And I ask for help and I can find that help. That is interesting. And I think you're right. There's a lot of human history and human reluctance, particularly as Americans. We are all strong and indestructible and can take care of ourselves, right? (laughs) That independent attitude. (laughs) What I found interesting, and and this is not going to be surprising to any of our listeners, not only was the U.S. happiness down on the ranking, but overall global happiness was not as high in 2020 as it has been in years past. Oddly enough, there was nothing going on. No, we all know 2020, (laughs) you know, the term, you know, the dumpster fire term keeps coming to mind for a lot of people. For many of us, it wasn't, but for many people, it was. And there was a lot of tragedy in 2020, and it was certainly front and center starting in really late February all throughout the year. It was difficult to find positive news. What I find most telling is people, I I agree with you, people paying attention to their own mental health. And I keep wanting to go back to how much we need each other. It's in the PERMA model. For those of you who are new listeners, PERMA is a model developed by Martin Seligman, Dr. Martin Seligman, who really is the father of positive psychology and, you know, utilizing psychology to help well, people thrive. What he says and what many people have repeated is in PERMA, PERMA is P-E-R-M-A, and, you know, positive emotions, engagement. And I'm going to stop here because this is the one I want to talk about. The R, positive relationships. It is what has been called, if you don't have positive relationships with other people, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to have a positive sense of well-being. If you don't have good relationships, you really don't have anything. It is the key to developing happiness. And we've been deprived of so much of that in 2020, of nurturing a lot of those relationships, of forming new relationships. I mean, I don't know how many new friends you've made in 2020, but it's really difficult to make new friends from your house. (laughs) It's a little tougher. And, you know, the report talked about that with the social connections and then also the social connections as they related to work. Since I already worked from home, that's something I had not thought about that a lot of people, their whole social circle was the workplace. And the report shows that a lot of people started suffering depression, anxiety, loneliness, and then because they were cut off from that workplace. And then for people who were laid off, that is exacerbated because now it's completely gone. We're not just trying to connect remotely it is completely gone. It is. And engagement and activities, right? Engagement is important for positive health, positive mental health. How do you engage in your own home, right? How do you find that flow? You know, that whole book on flow and finding it and how we thrive when we find, well, 
unless you're someone who thrives in a very isolated task, it's difficult to find flow and find engagement in your workplace when you're isolated. And then you don't form relationships and you don't build on the relationships you have. It was a difficult year for a lot of people. I'm not surprised that the happiness index was lower worldwide, really. It's been a difficult year. And how do we overcome that? What do we do to find new ways for those things? And I think, fortunately, the world's at a point where it did give us tools to get back. I really appreciate you talking with me. I'm excited. We'll have you on. We'll talk before then, but I'm so excited to sit down next year and talk about the happiness report and see what happened. Well, that. I certainly hope we talk between now and then. Yeah. But <laughs> we do have that weekly meeting. But yeah, there's that. <laughs> Paula, it's always a pleasure. And we need to thank everyone who participated in Happy Acts this month. Continue to do them. Continue to share gratitude. That was Live Happy CEO and co-founder, Deborah Heise. If you'd like to learn more about our Live Happy Gratitude Challenge or our Happy Acts, visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.